Ron's going to come up. And uh, he was with us, what, about a year ago? April. April. All right. Year, year ago, April. And uh, so many of you guys know him. And uh, he's with Friends of Israel and also does traveling ministry and discernment and all kinds of awesome things. So I'm going to let him share a little bit more about that. But let's give him a hand. I thought maybe they would only let me uh, speak after I had gone, done up three minutes with what, what the pastor went through. <clears throat> uh, just wanted to give you a heads up. Uh, on the table out there, we have a number of uh, books. Most of the books are $10, but uh, I have a, a kind of a deal. And uh, at Friends of Israel, that's one of the things we like to do. And I don't know if you've ever heard of the Kmart Blue Light Special. <clears throat> and so we have a special. And... One's called uh, Jesus and the Hebrew Scriptures uh, by Pastor Menno Kalisher. He works with the Friends of Israel in uh, Jerusalem, and so that's $5. And the other one, the Zion Connection, and, you know, the love for Israel. And uh, there's such a hatred out there. And so uh, Friends of Israel normally sells it for 10 and so I thought I wanted to do something for you, and so I'm offering it for $5. Another one that we have out there is uh, uh, Five Facts on Israel. And uh, it's with our free section. So if you see this, uh, one of these, you can pick it up. It's free. Five facts you should know about Israel. Uh, I have a newsletter. And just some of the things that I'm up to. It's in a little bit darker ink, so you're going to probably need a magnifying glass and some things. But uh, it's two pages. So if you don't just take one, if you're going to take one, take two pages. There's, a, there's another one with a whole bunch of pictures and kind of our agenda. And we're just asking people to pray about our ministry. Uh, the other thing that we have out on the table is a free Israel My Glory. And you can sign up for a free uh, issue for, uh, for a whole year and get it free, no charge. And, but they're out there as well, and you can take a look if you're interested. If, and if you don't want to sign up, you can take it, and you can sign up at a later time. It'll only cost you $18. So <clears throat> I've been with Friends of Israel for over 20 years. I've been an evangelist, and I've been a pastor for seven, and I've been part of a gospel bluegrass uh, ministry for uh, 18 years, and we were, had the privilege of being here last year, and, and I can tell you right now that my wife, Irene, Victor, and Susan are very envious of me uh, being in this heat. They love heat. <clears throat> I'm the exact opposite. You know, I love cold. <laughs> and so, but see, I think that has because I'm Jewish, the uh, Bible says in Deuteronomy, uh, we were going to be a, a peculiar people. And so, <clears throat> so I'm very peculiar. I like the cold. And uh, Right now at home, it is about uh, 28 above Fahrenheit. So I would be very much like thinking this, I was in heaven. So they're all wishing they were down here. Uh, just wanted to give you a heads up. We're going to show a little clip here in a second about a program that we do in Israel, it's, and uh, it's called Hased, which means loving kindness. And uh, one of the things with, when you're sharing the gospel with Jewish people uh, and the good news, I mean, they've heard all the most horrible and horrendous things you can ever imagine in the name of Christ, in the name of the Messiah, in the name of Jesus. And, but when they see that you're, you come in with loving kindness, and yet you're helping, you're assisting, and you're praying, and yeah, you take the word literally, but the word just, it's transformed your life by the power of God, by the Spirit of God, and through, you know, His grace. And you can have an opportunity to go work in Israel for a period of about a little over two weeks, and then they take you on a short little trip to Israel. And I hear some of you are going. I would encourage it uh, to check it out, and uh, it's probably too late to sign up, but you know, you want to, you, somewhere down the road, you want to make, take a trip to Israel if you can. And it's not that you have to go to Israel to have a personal relationship with the Father through the Son, Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, but to go there and to see it. And I've been, I've been going there for 22 years. I've had many opportunities to share the gospel in Israel, uh, do Bible conferences in Israel, as well as lead people on tours. And one thing, Jewish people are kind of attracted when they start seeing people coming and they're going to all these places, and so sometimes they follow you and you get a chance to share with them. And so we have a program called Hased. It's for eight, uh, 22 to any, any age after. We also have another one called Origins, but that's for young people 18 to, uh, to 28. And so tonight I'm just going to show you the Hased, 
And if you're interested about origins or for the young people, well, you have to have me back. So, <clears throat> so I'm going to just, uh, if we could bring up that clip now in regards to uh, Hased. And it's bluegrass. knew that God would spare him and shut that lion's mouth. David stood with his little sling and one round stone. He took down a mighty warrior, but he didn't stand alone. Believe, and you can move a mountain. Believe, and the waters will part. Just a sea full of faith and hope is all you need. Planet deep in your just believe, just believe. Reset the project is something that is helping the hospital every year, and I really wish that we'll have this project going on and on forever. Zacchaeus was a little man, so he climbed in a tree. He knew that God would change his heart if he could only see. Moses led the people to the water's side, because he knew there'd be a path to walk when they arrived. Believe That's my director. And you can move a mountain. Believe He's an that the waters will part just to see. enjoyed the Hesed project. It's uh, been far beyond my expectations. There's no words almost to be able to describe how great it is. Absolutely, positively do whatever you have to do to go on a Hesed. I love Friends of Israel. I love Hesed. You truly do feel that you're making a difference. I think it's one of the most fantastic opportunities we have. You will not regret it in any way, shape, or form. It will transform your life. It will change you. And you'll never be the same again. Just believe. And you can move a mountain. Believe. And the waters will part. Just a sea full of faith and hope is all you need. Planted deep in your heart. Just believe. That's a little bit of what one project that we do in Israel. We have we, we do another thing with the young people. We also have a program called Gesherim, which is in Las Vegas, working with the Holocaust Jews because there's over a hundred thousand Holocaust Jews in Las Vegas, and so we go out to do loving kindness to them, and then let the Lord open the door to share who Jesus is, and it's through kindness and people going that the doors open up. And maybe, not, maybe it doesn't always open up just for that individual, but as a whole, it opens up the door. And like we plant trees in Israel. We help get ambulances in Israel. And so there's a number of things. But, I mean, the most important thing that we can do is to give the Scriptures. Because without, without knowing who the Messiah is and what God has done and what he's done through his word, you know, people are in darkness. And that's what Isaiah chapter 9, 1 and 2 said, you know, that the people walk in darkness. And so our goal is to bring the Word of God. Anyways, I'm going to begin with a, a message tonight, and I hope that you've all got some notes. And the title is called, Jesus, If Thou Be. Now, before we get into that, into that uh, topic, I, I know that sometimes, you know, you, you sit for a little, even just for a little bit, or maybe, you know, you, you just need to stretch. And so I'd like everybody just to kind of turn their heads, if, just so that you're kind of loosened up. You know, just turn your head sideways, back and forth. Now, I just want to tell you that that's not a good thing. <laughs> because that's what they were doing at the cross. They were all wagging their heads. No, no. 
And we're going to look at three things, why they wagged their heads. And so I just wanted us to be in the right mind that, you know, I was one of those people. <clears throat> I was wagging my head when people started telling me about the Messiah, about the Bible, about Jesus, what he's done. And I said, no, no. And one of the things about, uh, about being Jewish, I mean, the hand usually goes up and the head usually goes like this, you know. And, wait a, and we say, wait a minute, wait a minute, you know. So it's, and so the head's like that. Well, I also have Parkinson's, and I had a peculiar form of Parkinson's. And my Parkinson's is that uh, I didn't do this when I shook my hands. My head, no, my head went like this. And the Bible says I'd be a peculiar people. So when the guy said I had a pe- peculiar form of Parkinson's, I said I could explain that. You know? And he says, I don't know how you can explain it. I've been doing this for 40 years, and I can't explain it. But can you imagine... As you think back, before you heard about the good news of the Lord Jesus, that you weren't interested. You know, and and in some cases, we're really not that interested even now. You know, we go through the forms of it, and and we see what's happening in our our Christian circles and in the world, and most of the time it's, you know, just shake our head. But the Scriptures is all true. It's all right. It's all pure. And so tonight I want us to focus on three things as I go to the book of Psalms and then we're going to go look at what took place at the cross. <clears throat> so Psalms chapter 2 and verses 1 to 12. <clears throat> I believe the, there's notes or things up on the, on the screen, so I'm not sure. There we are. Psalms chapter 2. So here's what it says. Why do the heathen, the Gentiles, rage? And the people imagine a vain thing. The kings of the earth set themselves, themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, this Hebrew word, anointed, Mashiach, and when the Jews translated that word, they used the Greek word, Christos, giving us the English word Christ. They're against the Lord and against his Christ. And the Gentiles are imagining a very vain thing. And they're taking counsel as to how to get rid of God and his Messiah, the Christ. Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet I have set my king, my king, the king who is the Messiah, the Christ, upon my holy hill of Zion. That's in in Israel. It's on Mount Moriah, Mount Zion, is the holy hill. This is where Satan says, you know, that he was going to set his congregation up on the sides of the north. Isaiah chapter 14, verse 13. And where's the sides of the north? Psalms 48, 1 and 2. How beautiful an elevation is the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion on the sides of the north, the city of the great king. And God says, I've set my king on that mountain. And Satan says, no, I'm going to sit on that mountain. And so now the battle is for that mountain. And every world nation that had world dominance went through Jerusalem, Israel. Every minor empire that had world dominance in view uh, and, and, and wanted to control the whole world went through Jerusalem. Every religion, every political thing, it's amazing, all the cults, everything always seems to head up in there. And even today, nothing's different. The United Nations, sitting on the hill of the wicked counselor, want to be on Mount Moriah, on God's holy mountain. And they want to worship all kinds of gods up on there. That's why they want to build a temple. But then God, he goes on to say, I will declare the decree the Lord has said unto me. And so we're in the second person with, with, with the me positive, is that he says the Lord has said this, so whoever it is is speaking, he's saying that God, the Lord, is the one who says it. He said unto me, thou art my son, the son who is the king, the king who is the Christ. And I have begotten thee. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the, the heathen, the Gentiles, for thine inheritance, the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Be wise now, therefore, O ye kings. Be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve, kiss, do homage. 
Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son. Get as close as you can. Kiss him. You know, I think of the woman that, uh, that when, when, when Jesus was in, in Simeon's house and she came in and she took perfume and she cried and she wiped her, uh, his feet with her, with, his, with her hair, she hugged him and kissed him. All right, do you have a love like that for Jesus? I come up short a lot of times. But love him, get close. You know, that's why God's given us the word. That's why he's given us elders and pastors. He's given us teachers and evangelists. And he's given us a congregation <clears throat> that we would get close to this one and kiss him. Lest he be angry and you perish from the way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father except by me. When his wrath is kindled but a little, blessed are all they that put their trust in him. How many people here want a blessing? That's good. I love to see when people put up their hands for blessings. Because the opposite would be a curse. <laughs> and cursings. And so I don't want one of those, nor do I want to give any of those. But blessed is the man. You know, blessed is, is this person who puts their trust in the Son. We're told in Revelation chapter 1, verse 3, blessed is the man who, or blessed is he that keepeth, or readeth and heareth and keepeth the things therein, for the time therein is at hand. A blessing. So to read, you want a blessing? Read the book of Revelation. Yeah, but it's too difficult. It's all this figurative and allegory stuff. It doesn't say to understand. There's a blessing in reading, hearing, and keeping. But you know, if you know 65 books, <clears throat> the book of Revelation starts to open up. But the most important factor is, is that you have the Holy Spirit to guide us. And that we have, and we have questions. I mean, that's why God gives us pastors, is that they can study and study together and ask the Holy Spirit too, and, or that the Holy Spirit's already taught them, and, and now they can teach. Is that there's a blessing. And so today, as I want to look at, focus on these three things about the Christ, the King, and the Son, I now wanted to go to the cross. And I wanted to show you three things from this aspect. Let's turn to uh, Luke chapter 23. And I hope it's going to be up on the screen. I'm not very good at looking at the screen. So I, I tend to forget if it's up there. And, and the other thing is I can't see without my glasses. So there we are. In fact, most of the people have disappeared. And so, so let's read Luke 23, verse 39. Oh, let's go back to verse 38. And there was a, subs, a, a superscription which was written over him in, in the letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. Now verse 39. And one of the malefactors which were hanged uh, rallied on him and saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. So can you imagine, you know, you're hanging there on the cross. You know, if you say, you know, who you say you are, if you're the Christ, if you're the Messiah, then save thyself and save us. Because anybody that's hanging on this cross is in the worst pain that they've ever experienced. And, and, and it's, we're told that crucifixion is the worst type of torture that a person could ever face. And in the days of Jesus, there were many people that were, that were put on these crosses, but there was only one that could make a difference for you and me and for this whole world. Salvation was of the Jews, and it was of one particular Jew, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the King of the Jews, who was the Christ. And so the charge was, you know, if you're the Christ, then come down. In Mark's Gospel, I just wanted, I'm just going to look that one up, Mark chapter 15, and it says in verse 31, 32, it says, let Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross, and we may see and believe. And they that were crucified with him reviled him. They, they, they were saying horrible things about him. Even in this position, as they're hanging, they're, you know, they're saying terrible things. Man, if there was anybody that could save me and I was in a lot of pain, you know, I'd be just, if you could do anything to get rid of some of this pain, that would be wonderful. I pulled all the muscles up and down my spine. I'd never felt such pain in my life. I couldn't move and had to get my wife to help me to even get to the car, to get to the hospital. And 
And when I got to the hospital, you know, as soon as they gave me some things that helped relieve the pain, man, I fell in love with those people. <clears throat> you know, I was just so thankful that they had done something. But, he, you know, he saved others. Himself he cannot save. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross. He saved others. But he can't seem to save himself. He can't seem to save us. So I asked that question, whom did Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, save? And if we went to Luke chapter 7, verse 22, we'd find out that he saved the blind, the lame, the lepers, the deaf, the dead, and the poor. He saved them all. There's whoever came to him. And can you imagine, you know, a life where you're hurting and you're blind and you can't see and you can't speak and, and he's now saving them because in those type of situations, you can't work. There, there was something wrong with you. Uh, those that had, that, that had diseases, they were to be separated from, you know, from outside. They saved them, gave them a life back. I can tell you... <clears throat> that people that I have ministered to and seen, my dad's a prime example, you know, and the life that he got himself into with, with alcohol and violence and, uh, you know, just horrible things. And then to have someone share the gospel with him and that, that after he would, he would accept the Lord as his Lord and Savior, asking forgiveness of his sins and, and what Jesus would do for him. And people started going to church because of my dad. Because the only thing that, was, that had been changed was that he accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior. And people just said there had to be a God if he could change a man like that. He changed their lives. But you know, most people think of the blessings of God like this. A house, and a car, and a vacation, the entrapments of the world, and all the other things, that bank accounts. But the blessing of God is this, a personal relationship with the Father through his Son, Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that you've been made witnesses and an ambassador, and you've been given an eternal destiny with a mansion, that you didn't deserve anything. I didn't deserve any of this. But when you ask forgiveness and you ask him to come, this is what you receive. You lack nothing on this side. You may lack on these no, and God doesn't owe you anything. He doesn't owe me anything. You know, and sometimes we think, oh, God, please help me. I've done all this for you. But he owes me nothing. Because, see, he already gave me everything. And I owe him everything. Because of what he's done. And what he wants to do with me or do with you, that's his prerogative. He's the, he's the potter. I'm just the clay formed out of the dust of the earth. I may not like it that way, but that's the reality of it. And he can do with it whatever he chooses that will bring him honor and glory. Well, Pilate asked me, he said, what shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? That's Matthew chapter 27, verse 22. What will you do with Jesus, who is called Christ? You know, and, well, will you let him work in you? Let him use you for his glory? It'll be a life that you'll be so thankful, so satisfied, even though it's hardships, even though it may be struggles. Not saying it will be, but if it was, you'll be looked back and be so thankful that the Lord took you and did things with you, even in the midst of hardships and struggles. The lineage of Christ, found in Luke chapter 2, verses 10 to 12. Most people don't know where Jesus comes from or where he was going to be born. In fact, if you ask the Mormons, <clears throat> they would tell you that he was going to be born in Jerusalem, according to the Book of Mormon, Alma 7.10. But this, the Old Testament to, told us in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, that he, he would be born in Bethlehem, and that's exactly where he was born, according to the Scriptures. Here we, we find in Luke chapter 2, he's speaking to the angels, or the angels are speaking to, the, to these priestly shepherds. And he said, and as the angels have been given this message from the Lord, he says, and the angels said unto them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings. It's the same word that we could use, gospel, in the Greek, evangelios. 
I bring you the gospel of great joy, which shall be to all people, not some, not just to a certain sect or a certain color, to every single human being, to every man, woman, child, Jew, Gentile, male, female. Why? Because that promise was given in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. And in thee shall all the family of the earth be blessed. That's said five times. Three to Abraham, once to Isaac, once to Jacob. In thee shall all the families or all the nations be blessed. Now, again, if you were Jewish, you'd be saying, wait a minute. Wait a minute. How is it that every man, woman, child, Jew, Gentile, male, female could be blessed? That's a good question. How is it that you'd be blessed? By knowing who the Christ, the Messiah is. And what he would do for you, though you didn't deserve anything. God did not need to come down to this earth and to pay a price and die for you. He chose to. And he was willing to give everything up. Not, not lacking anything, he gave everything up. That you could have everything and spend eternity and be rich in Christ for all eternity. And one day when we stand in eternity, you know, we were singing that song as Lisa was leading us, and hallelujah, you know, is that you'll be saying hallelujah like you've never said hallelujah before. It'll be such a wonderful opportunity, a wonderful time of fellowship. You know, Baruch Baba, Shem Adonai. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And it should be like, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord! I didn't deserve this. But I should be grateful and thankful, for I have been blessed. And so the lineage is that he's coming that he was, for unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior, which is Christ, the Messiah, the Lord. It's for all people. And that is, he would do this for you and for me. That's what Isaiah 52, verse 10 says. And the Lord God bared his holy arm in sight of all the nations, that all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation, the Yeshua, the Jesus of our God. Because 63 times the word salvation in the Hebrew is Yeshua, Jesus. That's why Jesus said, these are the words I spoke unto you, the law, the prophets, and the writings. And then he opened up their mind to understand the scriptures. It was concerning me, he says. It's all about Jesus. Both the prophetic, but also when he shows up. When he showed up in the garden with Adam and Eve. When he shows up with Noah in the ark. When he shows up with Abraham and walking through that land and through making a covenant with him. With Isaac and Jacob and down through all the tribes and through the prophets until he himself would show up as Isaiah, uh, uh, Genesis 49, verse 10, until Shiloh comes, till the Messiah comes, to whom it belongs. Simeon, in Luke chapter 2, verse 26, and I'm not sure if it's up there. I can't see that far. Yeah, Luke 26. And it says, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see uh, death until he had seen the Lord's Christ, the Lord's Messiah. And then what he would do is he'd take him up in his arms. And he says, my eyes have seen thy salvation. Let now thy servant depart in peace. And he was holding salvation in his arms. And as he held him, he was looking at, his, at, his, at, the, at the mother and the father, the, Joseph and Mary, the stepfather. I'm holding salvation. See, when we ask Jesus Christ into our life, we don't just hold him in our arms. He comes to live with right inside of us. And that he encompasses us. Everything about him should be, you know, the fruit of the spirit, the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the long-suffering, the temperance, the meekness, the kindness. There is above such, there is no law. In fact, you'll never hear, Brad, that's enough love out of you. You'll never hear that. I mean, man, if anybody is showing you love, you're right away, wow. I want to be around those people. Oh, that guy shows kindness. Oh, that person helps. This person's doing this. You seem to have so much peace in your life. People want to be around that because they're struggling in their life. They may not even have those things. But if you see any of those things in me, it's not me that did it. It was Jesus Christ through his Holy Spirit 
working in you, as Hebrews chapter 13, verse 21 says, working in you, making you perfect, doing his will, that which is acceptable in Christ Jesus. It's if, let him work in you. Let, the, let it to go deep so that people see Jesus and give him all the glory. Peter's confession in Matthew 16, verse 16, when he asked them, so who do men say that I am and, 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 and who do you say that I am? And Peter said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. He's the Messiah. He's the, he's the one that's come from heaven. He's from the living God, not the dead God. You know, uh, many, many guys are out there proclaiming that God is dead. And I mean, I can show you from, from experience, not that I base my life on experience, but I've seen what God has done in people's lives where they were dead and God made them alive and the way they live now. Jesus' response in verse 20 was, don't tell anybody I'm, I'm the Christ. And I th I've many times pondered that. Why not, Jesus? Why didn't you want anybody to know? But then as people found out about who he was and what he was doing, he couldn't even minister anymore in those places. Some were against him. I mean, there was debates over him. You know, in John chapter 7, some say he's, you know, that Christ doesn't come from Galilee. He doesn't he come from David, from Bethlehem. And they were arguing to the place where he couldn't even do the ministry. The multitude said that this is the Christ in John chapter 7, verse 41. This is the Christ. What do you, uh, and, and you want to know who the Christ is? You've got to go back to the prophets. Je, you know, Jesus talked about the law and the prophets many times. Go to Luke chapter 24, and uh, you'll find uh, verse tw uh, 44 and 45, he says about the law, the prophets, and the writings. Amos chapter 3, verse 7 says that God would not reveal his secret unless he did it through the prophets. The secret of the Messiah, his lineage, his birth, his uh, anointing, his ministry, his betrayal, his death, burial, resurrection, his ascension. Go to Isaiah 53, and, and then also his coming kingdom as he comes the second time. It's all found in the prophets. Study the word of God. Memorize it. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I may not sin against thee. As I travel from place to place, <clears throat> I feel that many people have moved away from the word of God moved away from the Holy Spirit teaching and guiding them, moving away from the name of Jesus so that it's not even mentioned in our culture, in our society, in our songs, unless it's a swear word of some type. That's what I grew up with. And I'm amazed that so many people who say they were Christians moved right back in and using it more as a swear word than as the one who really loves them. But the high priest, in my, my, the fifth F point here in my, on my paper says the high priest asked whether thou be the Christ. He's, he's asking the question in Matthew twenty six sixty three, and as soon as he says, as thou sayest, you know, we, it's blasphemy. I don't want to hear any more of this. And for a lot of people, you know, I, I remember having this one conversation with this one man, his name's Marvin, and uh, one of the things that happened with Marvin is that when he found out I was a born-again Christian, he started using the name Jesus and Christ uh, more times than I think I'd ever heard anybody else ever use it. And it wasn't in a very positive way. I had told him not to use it, and, one day, and finally one day I'd had enough, and I was just I was walking over to him to rebuke Marvin. And as I walked over to Marvin, and I was just about to say something to Marvin, something in my mind came and said, Lord, what would you have me say? And I'm so glad that that thought came to my head. Because that's not what I was thinking, what I was going to say to him. <clears throat> As that thought came in my head, all of a sudden the next thought came, Marvin, are you a born-again Christian? And Marvin looked at me and said, no, why, why, why would you say something like that? Because I said, Marvin, you use the name Jesus and Christ more than any born-again Christian. I'm starting to think that you must be a Christian. Marvin never ever used the name Jesus Christ ever again. <clears throat> He didn't want anybody to think he was a Christian. I wouldn't know this until eight years later. I was doing a Bible study, having our Jewish Bible study in Winnipeg, when a lady that uh, she'd been, worked for the airport, <clears throat> and she started coming, and I shared this testimony one night. I didn't say who it was, didn't even give a name, and all of a sudden she stood up and said, You're the man! 
And I think, okay, okay, I don't remember what I said, but whatever it is, you know, I'm the man, whatever I said. And, and she stood up and said, you're the one that talked to my brother, Marvin. And she says, Marvin has never swore, used the name Jesus Christ ever again since that day. And I thought, wow, there's power in that name. See, a lot of times people use it, but as soon as they hear about it and what it means and what it stands for, they become very afraid. And I've seen people who have done things, and even as, as, from a Christian perspective, but in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit, stop. And I've watched people fall to the ground. Not because I want to see people fall to the ground, but I believe that there is power in that name. There is, it's not a name. It's not a magic number. It's not a magic formula, you know. Are you sincere about what you stand for? Is that there's power in that name. All authority, all power has been given unto me, Jesus said. And at greater things you shall do in my name. And if you're sincere about your faith, I've seen things that God can do. You know, I've seen, I've seen people, you know, as lives changed. I've seen my mom healed. She's had cancer ever since I was five years old. She's had cancer again and again and and we've prayed and just to see how the Lord doesn't mean he's going to do that every time. But I've seen what God can do. I've seen you know, we just and I can tell you, we just I prayed for a, a, a man <clears throat> just the other day. He's a 91 year old Jewish man. And uh, he fell and he felt I guess he was walking so fast that he didn't even have time to brace himself. He went down and he smashed his face right into the concrete. And he broke his nose, and it looked like somebody had just, you know, ripped his face almost right off. And some people were saying, you know, would you pray for him? And so we started praying for him. We got a bunch. I started sending pictures out, and I told people, pray for this man. And so here they had a picture of, of, with him with a broken nose. And now on Monday, uh, I just found out as we got word that the doctors are not understanding what's going on. His nose is not broken. I mean, his face is still all beat up, but he doesn't have a broken nose, you know, and they, they can't understand what it is. Well, I, I don't know how that works, but I believe there's power and that God, what God chooses. And this man has never in 91 years ever opened his life to the gospel, though he's, he's had many opportunities and people tried. And now this weekend he was listening. And so God puts things in place. So that, you know, do you know where you are going to go, where you're going to spend eternity? The second point is, if thou be the, the king of the Jews, and again, in Luke chapter 27, verse 37, or 20, sorry, 23, verse 37, this is what it says, saying, if thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. Again, the charge, you know, it was the Christ. If, you know, if, you're, the, if you're the Christ, then save yourself and us. But here it says, if you be the king of the Jews, save thyself. Well, in Matthew chapter 27, verse 42, it says, if he be the king of Israel. Well, that's Isaiah 44. They, as soon as they said, that, if thou be the king of Israel. Well, the king of Israel is the Lord. Isaiah 44, verse 6. And so if you be God, if you be the Lord, if you're the one that we believe in or are supposed to, then save thyself. And Matthew goes on and says, the charge was he saved others, save thyself. So the question was I asked is that Jesus, the king of the Jews, whom did he save? And he saved the widow's son found in Luke 7, verse 15. Raised him from the dead. Can you imagine as, as we go to the city of Nain and uh, just two miles down the road, a little place called Shum, and they said, a great prophet has risen. Why? Because they remembered in the days of Elisha that he ra uh, Elisha raised a young boy. And two miles at Nain, had no, no one had ever been raised before after that. And here comes Jesus, and he touches this family. You know, we're talking as, as, as Steve is asking for prayer for these families, is that, you know, the sorrow that comes along with it, and to pray for them. But can you imagine this family as they were walking, and all of a sudden Jesus comes and touches the, the coffin, and he tells the young boy to sit up, and he comes alive, and that their sadness turns into joy. 
Well, it kind of reminds me of the resurrection. Is that, you know, and Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And we, and we know that from the story of Lazarus. You know, and, and after Lazarus was dead four days, he would come back to life. And that's one of the others that he would raise up, along with Jairus' daughter, found in Luke chapter 8, verses 41 to 53. Is that it's a form and understanding that if Jesus Christ rises from the dead, as 1 Corinthians 15 tells us, then we too have hope and we will rise from the dead. And that we don't have to do this. No, that's not true. I can't believe that. Because if he rises from the dead, so will you. <clears throat> so will everyone that put their trust in believing in who he is, the king of the Jews. In Luke chapter 23, verse 3, Pilate asked, Art thou the king of the Jews? <clears throat> Do you know that the head of the church is the king of the Jews? <clears throat> this is why it's to the Jew first and then to the Gentiles or to the, to the Greeks, to the heathen. It was salvation. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek there's no exception. See, salvation came, as Jesus said, salvation is of the Jews, but, it, but we know in John 3.16, for God so loved the whole world, because that's the gospel given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And we know that that's the gospel, because that's Galatians chapter 3, verse 8. And God foreseeing, you know, that as he gave Abraham the scriptures, or gave Abraham the, this, this, this gospel, in these shall all the families of the earth be blessed is that God always wanted ever the whole world to be saved. And that from the garden, when he made a promise, you know, that the seed of the woman was going to crush the serpent's head, is that that came at the cross. And there's coming a day when Satan will have to pay and he will be thrown into the lake of fire forever and ever. There's coming a day. Just as it is appointed unto man to die once and then comes the judgment. Where will you stand? You can either stand at the judgment seat of Christ, having your sins forgiven and him mediating, or to stand at the great white throne judgment and be thrown in the lake of fire. There's only two judgments. And where will we stand? Well, we find the lineage of, 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 the, of the king of, of Israel found in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. And, and it goes all the way down because it's a promise from Abraham through the kingship of David, and then all the kings down through Israel. And that's who Jesus' lineage as the king of the Jews. What time do we go till? 15 more minutes? Okay, good. <clears throat> I only have 200 more verses, so... <clears throat> Matthew chapter 2 and verse 1. The wise men asked Herod, where is he that's born king of the Jews? Can you imagine the picture? Here's Herod, a descendant of Esau from Edom, an Edomian. And here comes Jesus from the lineage of Jacob with the promise of being the king of the Jews and the conflict. Because see, in Revelation chapter 12 and verse uh, 5 to 12, Satan is coming and he would use Herod to kill Jesus, the Messiah, the king of the Jews. And the battle has never stopped. I mean, when Satan appeared to, to Jesus and he said, jump off the pinnacle, you know, you know he, he wanted somehow that he would die. Or if you just do this and bow down, I'll give you all these kingdoms. Is that he was constantly looking for a way out because he knows his destiny will be the lake of fire. And he's much more knowledgeable than you or I will ever be. He has 6,000 years of history on us. He was there in the garden. He knew exactly what he did. He knows exactly what he's doing. And as I've said before to other congregations, Satan comes to deceive. And he doesn't care how he does it. He comes to destroy your, your life, your family, your children. Pray for them. Pray for your pastors. He's coming for the pastors. He's coming for those that will stand true. He's going to come against anything and everyone that's in his ways. Those that even support him, he hates them. 
He's out to kill them. They think that they're doing a good job, but he will kill them as well. But thirdly, he wants to take as many hostages to the lake of fire, that if he cannot defeat God, he wants to take as many of those with him because he knows that God loves them so much that he was willing to come and die for them. And he hates that. You can read 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 8. He hates them. Nathaniel, in John 1.49, Nathaniel, I like this, this verse here, and I'm going to go right to that passage and read it, because he says in verse 49, Nathaniel answered and said unto him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God, thou art the King of Israel, and it sounds good, but you always got to back up to in its context, because Let's go back to verse 44. Now, Philip was of Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip findeth Nathanael and said unto him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God. Nathanael said unto him, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip said, come, uh, said unto him, Come and see. He, just, he was just saying to Philip, Nothing good comes out of this place. In fact, if I take you to the Galilean experience in Tiberias and we watch this video, you'll see that in 4,000 years of Galilean history, there is no one except the Lord Jesus Christ that comes out of there of any significance in the Galilee region. Nothing good comes out of Galilee. Well, Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and he said, Behold, an Israelite, a descendant of Jacob, Indeed, in whom is no guile. Jacob came with guile. That's Genesis 27, verse 35. Nathanael said unto them, Whence knowest thou me? Jesus answered and said unto him, Before that Philip called thee, when thou was under the fig tree, I saw thee. Now, whatever Philip was doing under the fig tree, Jesus said he saw him. And the question must be asked, well, what was he doing? And what, would he, what difference would it make because Jesus saw him under the fig tree? Because whatever it was, nothing good. Here's what Nathaniel's re remarks are. Nathaniel answered and said unto him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God, the King of Israel. And see, I believe that if you take Genesis 27 and 28, you'll get your answer. Is that Nathaniel was thinking about the dream of, I, of Jacob. And as he was thinking of that, there was a ladder from the earth stretching up into the heavens. The, the angels of God were going up and down this ladder. But at the top of that ladder stood the Lord, who said, I am. That's the Lord Jesus. Because we know that in John chapter 8, verse 58, Jesus said before Abraham was, I am. And you'll find this word, I am, throughout almost every book of the Old Testament. Not all of them, but just about every one. And so here was the promise. The I am stood at the top of the ladder. I believe that Nathaniel was looking and thinking and pondering of that dream. That as he was looking and he saw the Lord standing there at the, at the top of the ladder, and the angels of God going up and down this ladder, that Nathaniel looked at Jesus and said, You are him. Nothing good. You're the king of Israel. You're the son of God. And that, how do we know that? Because the next verse, when, and it says, Jesus said unto him in verse 50, and answered him, because I said, I saw thee under the fig tree, believest thou, thou shalt see greater things than these. And he said unto him, verily, verily, I say unto you, hereafter you shall see the heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. That's what makes me ponder, because he's a descendant of Jacob, about the guile, the angels up going up and down, and now he says they're going to go up and down on me, the Son of Man. That he was the Son of God. Well, Pilate, you know, he didn't believe it. The, the multitude said in Luke 19.38 that he was the king of the Jews. John chapter 12.13 when they were laying palm branches down, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews, or king of Israel. But Pilate never believed any of this, though he had been seeing this for a number of years. But when he wrote, when he wrote on, the, on, his, on, on the cross, he wrote this, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. John 19, 19. He's the king of the Jews. The third aspect is, 
If thou be the Son of God, this is found in Matthew chapter 27 and verse 40. And saying that thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself. If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. And so there was a charge against him if he be the Son of God. And they were wagging their heads. In fact, if you just go back to verse 39, Matthew 27, verse 39, it says, And they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads. All this was taking place at the cross. They were wagging their heads. They did not believe this. They did not believe that in all the things that he had done, through all the miracles, they did, would not put their trust in this one. And the charge was saying that thou that destroyest the temple, they remembered what took place when Jesus was challenged by the Pharisees, you know, and he says in three days, you know, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. This temple took 46 years, and you're going to destroy it in three days? And Jesus was saying that he spoke this of his, of, his, of his own body. You destroy this body, and in three days I will raise it up. Save thyself. If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. Well, whom would the Son of God save? Well, first himself, Isaiah 63 and verse 5. He would, his own arm brought him salvation. And he would rise from the dead, according to the scriptures, on the third, third day. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. But secondly, he would save the world, as we know in John 3, 16 and 17. Is that most people don't look at the whole context of the verse. You know, it's that God was going to save the whole world, not just some people. Everyone. Whosoever will may come. We used to sing this song. I'm so glad that he included me. He included me. He included me. I'm so glad that he included me. When Jesus said that whosoever will may come. Whosoever will may come. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Whosoever will may come. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world. People are already condemned. They're on a one-way trip to the lake of fire. They're the walking dead. But that the world through him might be saved. And he's come to save to the uttermost. And that this was, when he said, it is finished, he also said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He was looking at the Jews who had turned them over to these godless Romans, and he was forgiving them. He was looking at the Romans that though they would crucify him and mock him and hail him as king of the Jews, though they didn't believe it, he was saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. But he was looking through time, and he was looking right at you and me. And he was saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And it's only by the grace of God, it's only by the power of God, through the Spirit of God, that if we do anything right, if we allow him to work in us, he gets all the glory. Because he wants us so much. You know, the centurion said in Mark chapter 15, verse 39, he said, truly this man was the Son of God. Do you believe in the Son of God? These things are written that you may know that you have eternal life, and this life is in his Son. It's in the Son of God, and it's in him only. Jesus said in John 10, 36, I am the Son of God. They were, when he had said in John 10, 30, I and my Father are one. They didn't believe it. They wanted to stone him for blasphemy. The lineage of the Son of God. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For unto us a child is born... Unto us a son is given. The government rests upon his shoulders. His name is called Wonderful, Counselor, Prince of Peace, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. The child. I and my father are one. That this is the son of God. The son that was given. 
the son that was born to die, the son that was the only way that you could live, and that if he doesn't rise, neither will you. In Luke chapter 1, verse 31, I love the words of Gabriel. We named our first son Gabriel. He passed away. And he's in the presence of the Lord. I love these words when Gabriel says in 1 verse 19, And the angel answering unto him said, I am Gabriel, that stand in the presence of God, and am sent to speak, and sent to speak unto you and to show you these glad tidings, the gospel. And what would that gospel be? As we find out in verse 31, And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and shalt bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus, Yeshua. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. No end. That's Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. When the Son of Man stands before the Ancient of Days, and he's given a kingdom which is everlasting. It's going to go on and on and on forever. I want to be there. I hope you want to be there too. hope you tell as many people. I think I'm so thankful when I heard that you had a radio station. I didn't know that when we were here in April that you were even getting one or even inquiring. But then to look at the, uh, the itinerary, I'm just so thankful. I've been telling people about this church as I travel across Canada and United States. I've been telling people to pray for this church because I believe it's a lighthouse in the state of California. As I travel across this, this country and across Canada, I see less and less people who once stood for the word don't believe the very things that Gabriel was promising. Satan questions Jesus in Luke chapter 4, verse 9. If thou be the Son of God. You know, if God would just show up, maybe I would believe in him. The last time he showed up, we crucified him. The demons, they declare who he is in Mark chapter 3, verse 11. Thou art the Son of God. The demons know who he is. In fact, in, in Luke, uh, Mark 1, 24, they said, What are we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth, thou Holy One of God? He's only Jesus. He's the most holy. And he's the one that was anointed. Not the temple. It was Jesus, the Holy One. So in conclusion, I just wanted to look up at a few references in Jeremiah chapter 8 and verse 20. Because I believe there's a lot of people in the same boat, in the same situation as in the days of Jeremiah. They didn't believe and they would be taken and destroyed and many would be taken to Babylon. But in Jeremiah 8.20 it says, And the harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. I hope that's not true of you. For me, I've asked Jesus Christ to be my Lord and my Savior. Not to be ashamed. It's not that I'm perfect or have it all together, but not to be ashamed. John 3.16, for God so loved the world, he sent his son, Jesus, into this world to save whosoever. In John chapter 5 and verse 34, the words of Jesus himself, and he says, But I receive not testimony from men, but these things I say that you might be saved. Acts 16.31 says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. And then just last reference, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. And I want to tie all three things that we've been talking about, about the Christ, the King, and the Son of God. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus, there's the Messiah, came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. And if the Apostle Paul was the chief of sinners, where does that put me? Howbeit for this cause I obtain mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all loving, long-suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe in him to everlasting life. Because he suffered, he set a pattern. Those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus shall be persecuted. doesn't say anything about being healthy, wealthy, and wise. About being persecuted. You know, well, who wants to be persecuted? 
But the more that you get closer to Jesus, people are going to, I don't like that. I don't like what you say. I don't like what you do. I don't like where you're going. But they didn't like that one of Jesus. They didn't like those that were of the early church. Verse 17, now unto the king, and there's the king, the king of the Jews, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God. And you can go through the scriptures. The only wise God is the son of God. Be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. He's come for you. He's come for me. And if there's any legacy that we can leave behind, is that we would tell others about Jesus. Because Jesus said in Matthew, or Mark, Matthew chapter 10, verse 32, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father. And you know, I, I think of that picture many times. Because... I've graduated from, from college and seminary, and when I would see the, the, the president coming, he seemed to be so far away. I'm 100 and, there's 167, I'm 149. He was way down there. All of a sudden, I looked up, and there he was right beside me, and he was now shaking my hand. That's what makes me think of the Lord Jesus, is that there's going to be millions and millions of people. And he's way down there. And all of a sudden, you look up, and there he is. And he says in, in Revelation chapter 3, verse 5, that if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father and his angels in heaven. Is that, Father, this is. And he takes you by the hand and he introduces you to the Father because of what he did. Nothing of me. Everything of, with him. What about us? Will we stand <clears throat> for the truth Will we live the truth? Will we tell people the truth about who Jesus is? Or will we just let them go? Will we pray for them? There are many people that, you know, I, I'm heading up to do a conference in Lodi and Galt. And there was a lady there that prayed for me. I didn't know her. Her name was Martha Skidmore Plants. She died October 30th, 1976. And she was praying for me. She wrote it in a journal. I didn't even know. She only knew of my grandfather. They had lost touch with my grandfather. And then she wrote, she said, if Ralph, my grandfather, has any children, you know, then I pray for his descendants. And if now it should be this time that, that he should be of age, if he has any descendants. And she wrote in there, Lord, if, if, the, if, go, if this man has any descendants, then I pray that they will get saved. So she didn't even call me by name. And when I would find this family up in Lodi, California, and I'd look at this book, and there I was. There was she was praying for me. And that I would, I would come to December 14, 1976, and accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Who are we praying for? The devil would have us not to pray for anyone. Just get us so busy, you know, so busy with life that we forget the most important things. And I'm no different. I, I come up short in so many areas. I need to be challenged and encouraged and, and, and prayed for just as you need, you know, need that as well. But to others that are needing to be prayed for. And that God would reach out and touch them. I'm so thankful for Martha. I'll see her one day. I don't know what I'll say to her. I don't know what it's going to be like when we get to heaven and all the things, whether we'll know each other or how that's, I believe we will, but how that all happens, I'm not sure. But one thing I will be doing is thanking Jesus for her. And when I see Jesus, I'll be saying, thank you for praying for me. What about you? Who will you pray for? You know, a good indicator is you've got ten fingers on your hands. Take, put ten people on each finger. Pray for those people. You always remember, and if you get into a routine, you write it down. This thumb is, you know, the pastor, and this one's his wife, and this one's for my husband and a spouse. And after a while, you won't need to look at the paper. You'll know which ones you should be praying for. And once you got those mastered, well, you got, you got ten toes, you know. <clears throat> you know. So thank you for letting me come. <clears throat> it's a blessing. It's an encouragement. And I just thank the Lord for you. I thank you, Pastor Steve for allowing me to be here. It's a blessing. And as I said before, my wife, Victor and Susan, they wish they were here. 
and they said to give greetings to you and to, and to everyone here. So may the Lord bless you. We want to pray for you right now. Thank you. Do you want the headset? No, I'll just, I'm going to talk into it. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we just, again, thank you for this night. We thank you for our brother, John. And Lord, what, God, a wonderful word. God, just, just to hear Jesus preached and to see you, Lord, in the Old Testament and the New. And we just thank you that, God, you're with us. And absolutely, Lord, if there's any who don't know you tonight, we would pray, God, they would call on your name and let you wash them and cleanse them. Be your Lord and Savior, Lord, their Lord and Savior, even tonight, God. So bless the rest of our evening, God. We just thank you that you are so good to us again. Go before our brother, God, and Lord, the rest of his missionary trip this time down, Lord, as he goes up to Galt and places before him, and bless his wife as she comes down to to meet him up north there. and Just shine your face on them. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen. I also wanted to just say that, you know, if, if for some reason you couldn't afford one of the books, I'd like to offer you a free book if you couldn't, you know, if you can't pay for it. It's not about the money. You know, our ministry is never about money. In all the times I've been with Friends of Israel, we don't ask about money. <clears throat> and so we, we, want, we want to get good books. I know the church here has got some great resources. And so if we can be an encouragement that way too, that's what we want to do. So Lord be with you. Make, keep your eyes on Jesus. <laughs>